0: But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief police, priests and priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that I can still join you, even though it's over Zoom. Why don't I pray for us as we open up Scripture and hear from God's Word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and love towards us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have the hope of the resurrection. And we thank you that as we meet together as your people, we're still able to do so uh, with the technology that you have given us. Thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. We pray that you'll help us to be attentive to your word, that you'll soften our hearts and be so convicted that we are like Barabbas so that we might need Jesus. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, friends, please have your Bibles open as we uh, study Mark chapter 15 this morning. Well, Fakunda was only uh, 27 years old when uh, she finished her degree in Islamic studies. Uh, she was preparing to hold a teaching position. Uh, but when she, uh, she happened to be in a near a shrine in Kabul, which is the capital city of Afghanistan, she noticed a mullah selling amulets. Uh, so she she, start, uh, she told the women around the shop uh, to not waste their money to not buy these amulets. Uh, the mullah saw what she was doing. He got so angry that he starts yelling at her and accusing her of burning the Quran, the sacred text of Muslims. So a crowd gathers around Fakunda to uh, beat her. Some try to stop the mob uh, from trying to kill her, uh, so that they can ask her if she's actually a Muslim or not. But no one listens. So the mob. Beat her with bats, stomp her with their feet, throw her body off a roof, run over her body with a car, set her body on fire, and then throw her body into the river, not far from the president's palace. And if that wasn't bad enough, officials and religious scholars stood by and endorsed the killing. In fact, 13 police officers were there. They witnessed the whole thing, and they did nothing to stop her from being killed. About a week later, Afghanistan's most senior detective, General Muhammad Zahia, said this. Last night, I went through all documents and evidence once again, but I couldn't find any evidence to say Fakunda burned the Holy Quran. Fakunda was totally innocent. In fact, a policeman who saw the incident said Fakunda had denied setting the Quran on fire. She said, I'm a Muslim and Muslims do not burn the Quran. Based on their lies... People decided Fukunda was not a Muslim and beat her to death. Fukunda was completely innocent. Her death was a complete waste. But don't think for a second that such things only happen in the Middle East or that such a grave injustice only happens in developing countries. That has nothing to do with it. It happens even in our own country here in Australia. So let me give you an example. Uh, Colin Campbell Ross was an Australian 3-3. He was born in North Fitzroy, grew up in Melbourne, and eventually became an owner of a pub just off Swanson Street. Uh, in his life, he had a few run-ins with the police. He wasn't a perfect man. Uh, once he robbed uh, someone, um, another time he tried to force a woman to marry him uh, while basically holding a gun to her head. Now, if you're single and hoping to get married one day, please don't do what Ross did. It's not a good idea. On uh, the 12th of January 1922, he was arrested again, but this time it was for the murder of now Alma Turkish. Uh, Alma was a 12-year-old girl who went on an errand for her grandma, but she never came home. Eventually, she was found dead in Gun Alley, a laneway off Little Collins Street. They found her and they noticed that she had been raped and strangled to death. Uh, The case became a major sensation. Newspapers right across Melbourne convinced the public that a maniac was on the loose and that he'll strike again. So, a reward of £1,250 that's like $100,000 in today's money was offered for the capture of the killer. But as time passed, no progress was made in capturing this murderer. The police were criticized. There was public outrage, public pressure for the police to make an arrest. And so, one thing led to another since Ross was already well-known to police and his pub was just around the corner from the crime scene, the police decided that they'll arrest him for the murder. At his trial, he pleaded innocent, but that didn't do anything. Uh, Essentially, random people were brought to trial uh, to accuse him of the murder. A detained prisoner of perjury accused him of the murder. A prostitute accused him of the murder. A fortune teller accused him of the murder. But the damning evidence was the hair they found on his bed. Uh, a forensic scientist by name Charles Price presented two strands of hair, uh, one from Ross's bed and the other from Elmer's head. He confirmed that the two strands of hair were different colors. They were different in diameter. But he told the court that the hairs derived from the same scalp of the one and the same person. Uh, despite the contradictory evidence, it was accepted by the judge without comment. And so Ross was sentenced to death and hanged at Melbourne jail. And now fast forward in 1998, the case was reopened and investigated with the help of DNA testing. The Australian Federal Police and the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine concluded that the two strands of hair didn't come from the same person. In 2008, the Chief Justice Marilyn Warren granted a posthumous pardon. You see, Ross was completely innocent. His death was a complete waste, just like Fakunda's. But there's another innocent person who was falsely accused, who should never have been executed. But unlike Fakunda and Ross's death, this person's death wasn't a waste. In fact, it wasn't even an accident. He had predicted his death in Mark 8 and even offered himself as a sacrificial lamb at the Passover meal in March of the 14th. But why would anyone put their hand up to die? Why would he offer himself as a sacrifice? Well, as we've seen over the past few weeks, it's because it's the only way for sins to be forgiven by God and for you and me to be reconciled to God. And so, last week we saw Jesus being interrogated by the leaders of Israel and they made a decision on his fate, he's condemned to die. But as much as they would have wanted to kill, them, kill him themselves, they didn't because they were afraid of the crowd and also because they couldn't lawfully execute him since Jerusalem was under. Roman occupation so after condemning Jesus to death they devise a plan throughout the night and in in the morning they begin to execute this plan and what we see in today's passage is what their plan is and how it all unfolds and so the first thing we see is in verse one they hand Jesus over to Pontius Pilate very early in the morning the chief priests with the elders the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans so they bound Jesus led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate's the Roman governor of Judea, and with the top political job in the region, he was responsible for maintaining law and order. And so as prefect and magistrate, he was judge and jury. This means he was very powerful, and his job was very important to the realm. On the one hand, he had to ensure there was peace in the region, and any threat to Caesar's reign was swiftly quashed. Yet on the other hand, to maintain peace and order in the region, he relied on the cooperation of the chief priests who he appointed. For the chief priests had influence in the Sanhedrin and over the people. They were the leaders of Israel and could sway the crowds. So, for example, when he wanted to build an aqueduct to bring fresh water into Jerusalem, he needed to tap into the temple treasury to fund the project. But he could only do that with the support of the chief priests. And so he had this a codependency relationship, this mutually beneficial relationship with the chief priests and the leaders of Israel. And so when the chief priests present Jesus before Pilate, the second part of their plan is unveiled. They accuse Jesus of claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now, you can just imagine from Pilate's perspective that this is very unusual because the Jews wanted a Jewish king to lead them and not a Roman emperor to rule them. So why would the chief priest hand over a Jewish leader who could save them? So immediately, Pilate would have known that something fishy is going on here. But given given the seriousness of the accusation and the potential threat he poses to Caesar's rightful rule, Pilate must put Jesus on trial. He must be judge and jury and make a ruling. And so he asks Jesus point blank, verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus looks him straight in the eye and says, you have said so. That is, yes, I am the king. I am the Messiah. I'm the one the Jews have been waiting for. Now, the chief priest wasn't going to take any chances. They wanted Jesus dead. And so the third part of the plan is to lay accusations out thick and fast. Verse 3, the chief priest accused him of many things. But like a sheep to the slaughter, Jesus doesn't respond to the accusations. Verse 4, so again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Jesus doesn't entertain the accusations, nor does he try to defend himself. He knows the path he must take. He knows why it's the only path he can take. And even though Jesus doesn't respond to the accusations, Pilate knows he's innocent and tries to set him free. That's why we're now told about a custom in verse 6. Now, it's the custom at the festival, Uh, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Uh, Every year during the Passover festival, Pilate pardons one prisoner. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. If there's one person the people wanted released, he'll release them. And the passage then tells us about a man named Barabbas, verse 7. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Now, we don't know a lot about Barabbas, apart from what we told in the passage. He was an insurrectionist. That is, a Jewish rebel who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He wanted to reinstate the borders of Israel and reestablish the glory of Jerusalem. And in the course of trying to overthrow the Romans, he's killed people. And so Barabbas isn't just a murderer, he's a direct threat to Caesar and to Pilate. And so on two different counts, under Roman law, Barabbas deserves the death penalty. And so it's very clear in Pilate's mind who should go to the cross who sh- and, and, and who should be released. Barabbas is the real threat to Rome, but Jesus is an innocent man who sh- shouldn't even be on trial. So Pilate asked them if they want Jesus released. Verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had, had handed Jesus over to them. Just as there's no doubt that Fukunda was completely innocent of burning the Quran and didn't deserve death. And just as there's no doubt that Ross was completely innocent of the rape and murder of the little girl and didn't deserve death. So Jesus is found time and time again by Pilate, the judge and jury, the prefect and magistrate, the governor of Judea, to be completely innocent. He doesn't deserve death. And so as you can see, Pilate's doing all he can to have Jesus released. He knows that this is the plan and the scheme of the chief priests that they're doing this out of self-interest in verse 10. He doesn't want to kill an innocent man. And so he offers to release the prisoner. He hopes to release Jesus. But instead, the chief priest put in motion their fourth plan, the fourth part of their plan and stirred the crowd in verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. But Pilate still doesn't want to release Barabbas. Do you notice that? He he wants to release Jesus still. And in verse 12, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. I crucify him, they shouted. Why? what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted, all the louder, crucify him. Now, this is absolutely crazy, isn't it? The crowd wants Pilate to release a murderer and a rebel rather than an innocent man. But Pilate caves into their demands. He releases Barabbas and sends Jesus to the cross. Verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Did you see what's happening here? You have two men on death row, but they couldn't be more different You have Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world, and you have Barabbas, who's seeking to restore the kingdom of God in this world. You have Jesus, who will bring in the kingdom of God through his own violent death, and you have Barabbas, who wanted to reestablish God's kingdom through violence and the death of others. You have Jesus, who says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you have Barabbas, who's a rebel and a direct threat to Caesar. You have Jesus, whose business has been to heal the sick and raise the dead, and you have Barabbas who's been inciting violence and committing murder. You have Jesus who's not just innocent, but is found to be innocent at trial. And you have Barabbas who's not just guilty, but is unashamedly guilty of his crimes. You have Jesus who has done nothing wrong, deserving of death, and you have Barabbas who knows he deserves death. And so what happens on this Friday morning changes everything forever. Jesus, the innocent, dies in the place of Barabbas the guilty. The cross is there and waiting with Barabbas' name written all over it. But Jesus is the one who goes to the cross to die in Barabbas' place. Jesus is the one who effectively rubs Barabbas' name off the cross and puts his own name there instead. Jesus and Barabbas completely switch places. Jesus substitutes himself for Barabbas, and so Barabbas is released, all charges are dropped. He walks away with a clean slate and given a new lease of life. He walks away as a free and innocent man like he had never committed a crime in his life. The innocent is declared guilty, and the guilty is declared innocent. And that's why Jesus' death isn't a waste, because he came for this very reason. He came to die in the place of rebels like Barabbas, like you and me. You see, Barabbas subverted the rule of Caesar, who was the rule of the Roman Empire, which included all of Judea, the land of Israel. And so Caesar was Barabbas' king, whether whether he liked it or not. Wherever he went in all of Judea, Caesar was his king, whether he liked it or not. But we've done something far worse, and that is we have subverted the rule of God, who is the rule of not just Judea, but of all of heaven and earth. And that means that he's the ruler of our church. God rules here, our church. But he also rules in my home, in your home, in my workplace, in your workplace, in our schools, in our shopping centres. Wherever we go, no matter where we go, we remain under the rule of God because it all belongs to God. And so if you go on to Google Maps, no matter where you look, no matter where you plan to go, even if you zoom right out and see the entire globe of our planet. God rules every single bit of it, every kilometre and mile, every metre, every yard, every millimetre, every inch. God rules every single part of it. There is no escape from God's rule, for God alone is the rule of heaven and earth. For he created heaven and earth, and so everything belongs to him, even you and even me. And so we might never murder like Barabbas, but we've all been angry, haven't we? We've all thrown a tantrum and said and done hurtful things to others. And Jesus says, if we have anger towards our brother, we have murdered them in our hearts and will therefore be subject to God's judgment. You see, we've all chosen not to live for God, the rightful ruler over our lives. We've chosen to live for ourselves. We've all chosen not to do his will, but our will. We've all chosen not to obey his rules, but we've made up our own rules instead. I mean, we can't even meet the standard of our own conscience, that little voice inside our head that tells us what's right and wrong. We don't even listen to that little voice every time, let alone God's word. And so, like Barabbas, we all deserve death. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That is, when you sin, your payment, what you deserve, is death. The wages of sin is death. When we rebel against God, we deserve death. For he is life. And if we reject life, we receive Death. But but thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 goes on to say, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God is life and the giver of life. And so when we believe in Jesus, when we receive and accept him as our Lord and Savior and commit our lives to living for him, we receive eternal life, for he is life and the giver of life. For he has died in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. You see, like Barabbas, who deserved death, we deserve death. And like Barabbas, who was declared innocent and was released as though he had done nothing wrong in his life, God's free gift to us is eternal life. That is, Jesus goes to the cross for us. He rubs out our name on the cross, as it were. He rubs out my name, David, on the cross, and he puts his name there, Jesus. And so Jesus dies for us in our place on the cross and receives upon himself God's judgment for all our sins, which is death. That's why Jesus' death isn't a waste, like it was for facundo or Ross, because even though Jesus dies an innocent death, he dies as our substitute so that we can be clothed with his innocence. And so when God looks at us, he sees us the way he sees Jesus, pure and innocent and altogether lovely. Isn't that the best news ever? If you had a huge tax debt to pay back and and someone paid it for you, you'd be over the moon. If you were caught speeding at 80 kilometres an hour through a school zone, which is meant to be 40 kilometres per hour, and the police pulls you over, but only gives you a warning instead of suspending your license license and confiscating your car. You'd be over the moon. If you needed life-saving surgery and a donor willingly offered their organs to save your life, you'd be over the moon. And now we've just been reminded that we deserve death. The punishment for our sin is death. For the way we treated God and each other, we deserve death. We deserve God's punishment. But Jesus is saying, I'll take that punishment for you. I'll pay your debt for you. I'll die for you. I'll do what is required so that you can be declared innocent, so that my Father in heaven will look at you as though he's looking at me, holy and blameless, like you've never done a thing wrong in your entire life. Isn't this good news worth celebrating? Isn't this good news worth sharing? So, friends, why why don't we do that this Easter? If it's that good, why don't we do that this Easter? So let me encourage you to pray for a friend, to invite them to hear this good news, for you to share with them the hope you have in the resurrection. And if they want to find out more, maybe you could also consider coming along with them to Christianity Explored so that we can open up Mark's Gospel together and learn more of Jesus, and the good news he brings. Amen.